0: You will come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Hello, friends. I am so thrilled to welcome back a wonderful guest to the show, Laura Vanderkam.
1: Hi, Laura. Hi, Christine. How's
0: it going? It's going well. It's going well. I am so excited to talk to you. For listeners who are not familiar with your work, I I can't imagine that there are a lot,
1: (laughs) but in case they don't know. Somewhere, someone in the universe. (laughs) Somewhere. Yes.
0: Yes. You are just such an incredibly prolific human being and a wonderful human being and a time expert. I will link up your website, in the show notes, but you have multiple books, you are a multi-podcast podcaster, and you have a new book called Tranquility by Tuesday, Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters. And honestly, when I read that subtitle, too, since the show is all about reducing chaos, I was like, who Who would be a
1: more perfect guest? <laughs> like, nobody. Well, hey, that sounds great. Yeah, no, I'm all about calming the chaos. We we should do that wherever possible. Indeed.
0: So, and I also want to flag, and again, I will put this in the show notes, but you joined us on the show for episode 226, time management and productivity. And there were just so many great practical tips in there. So we'll do a mix of practical and big picture here. But if people want to like level things up and get a second dose of Laura, they can.
1: (laughs) You just haven't had enough after this.
0: Well, Laura, I just want to start by saying personally, that this book hit me at a time when I just direly needed it. As you know, I'm a highly functioning person. I get a lot of things done, but I also feel like a scattered dumpster fire a lot of the time. And it's it's a little perplexing to me, right? So I just first want to say thank you for writing this book. I actually initiated some immediate change, some of which we'll cover as we go along, into how I'm planning my life. And it's I think it's working really well so far. So thank you for writing this book. I appreciate well, I'm it. I'm so
1: excited to hear that. That is that is that means a ton to me. I, I really deeply appreciate that. Although if you are a scattered dumpster fire, I really hate to think what the rest of us are <laughs> then.
0: <laughs> well, I'll I'll we're recording this on a Wednesday, but I'll let you know by Tuesday if I'm feeling tranquil. I think I I think I will be. But this also leads me to the fact I mentioned that, on the front end, that or just a few minutes ago, that you have written a lot of books, you produced an incredible amount of content. So why this book now? That's the first thing I want to ask you
2: well,
1: it's it's always a question. You know, why do you write the next book? And it's that there is something else that you want to say, that you want to um put something out in the world that has not been done before. And so, me to this. Was recognizing that as I talk to people and as you know, people ask for time management advice. Even though people's lives are very different, there were certain things I wound up saying frequently hmm. um, that you know, lots of people can benefit from doing X, Y, or Z, and you know, even if their lives take very different forms. And so I started collecting this list of what was the most common advice I was giving, and I distilled this down into nine rules, so nine time management rules that I thought would be broadly applicable. But because I write self-help for busy people, I really just don't like the idea of saying, hey, I have a good idea. You might want to check it out. Mm -hmm. Like I want to, you know, if I'm going to recommend something, I want to know that it works. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to test it more systematically and had for this book, 150 people try out these nine time management rules over nine weeks. Um, I would send them a rule. They would answer questions about how they plan to implement it, check back a week later, answer questions about how it went. I could measure them on various dimensions all through the project. And, you know, it turns out that if you follow these nine rules or at least stick with this project uh, for nine weeks, that uh, your time satisfaction levels will rise significantly. So that was good to know.
0: I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be one of your sort of post-research guinea pigs on that because I, I do feel like that there's so much actionable change in there. And actually, that leads me to my next question, which is about the research. And first, as you know, I used to be in science and I used to be an, an experimental psychologist. So just reading and thinking about um, collecting data from <laughs> 150 people in a somewhat longitudinal <laughs> to me, nine, you know, nine weeks, that's that's um, a lot of tracking to do. Is very impressive, so hats off. I think you did acknowledge uh, your tech team, whoever helped implement that. But wow, tech
1: team and research team. But yes, <laughs> Un-
0: unreal, unreal. It's like it's like a really important thing to flag because it's a huge. As you said, you wanted to back things up, and you have numbers, and so I just need to underscore that in support of this book. But the thing that struck me, or one of the many things, is that you conducted this research in the spring of 2021. And I'm curious if you saw any themes in the data that felt related to COVID or or anything else that surprised you. And the reason is this. So just about that time in April 2021, I wrote a piece for the Washington Post. I'll link it up in the notes. But it was a real point of reflection for parents. And they were reflecting on how they learned to slow down in the past year and appreciate their time more and be more mindful about it and how to preserve that pace. And so it felt so hopeful to me because I'm somebody who really actively works against the kind of overscheduling narrative that is all over modern parenting. But then I felt as soon as things started to loosen up, people went from zero to 60, which I guess is normal. We were all, you know, people were itchy. They wanted to get out again. But I just, so I'm curious if you heard a change in the time stories during your data collection because it was happening in that spring where things were opening up again.
1: I think everything was very much in transition at that point. And I could even see that in people's responses just that some people were still in, you know, functional lockdowns. Mm. Um, some of my respondents others were not. You know, some had kids still doing virtual or hybrid school, um others did not and of course all of this affects what life is going to look like. Um, I think that the the upside of, you know, nine rules that are designed to be as close to universally applicable as possible is that the actual circumstances of the broader world don't matter as much either. Then, um, I mean, just as an example, you can give yourself a bedtime, whether you are at home all day, or whether you are running to a million different things. Mm. Um, it's helpful to think through what you would like your upcoming week to look like, whether it's going to be very limited because of pandemic restrictions or whether there are dozens of moving parts that need to be coordinated. Uh, and, you know, it benefits us to move by 3 p.m., whether it is because we're otherwise going to sit in our home all day or uh, mm-hmm. you know, whether you are, are doing various different things and need a few minutes to clear your head. So I, I think the rules were still doable. There were definitely some, you know, figuring out like what adventures were possible in life, you know, what sort of community commitments were possible or weren't possible at these different times. And so there was a bit of a transition with that, but you know, my hope as, as people figure out how to spend their time is that we think about how we want to spend our time. Um, for some people that I guess the pandemic may have provided a moment to think about that. I think, you know, for others, it probably didn't. Uh, But, you know, anytime we make moves toward being more mindful about time, it nudges us to make smarter choices, whatever that happens to look like for people.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, such a good point. Okay, well, we're going to dig into some tactics. And we'll do that after a quick break. Did you know that hyaluronic acid naturally occurs in our skin, but decreases gradually as we age? leading to thinner, drier skin? If you're looking for support hydrating your skin from the inside out, check out one of the tools in my hydration arsenal, Rituals Hyacera, which I take every morning. Rituals products are tested and validated by a third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals, and Hyacera is clinically proven to reduce fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. They also engage in industry-leading sustainability standards and are a female-founded B Corp, which means they hold themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. Want to join me in hydrating from the inside out? Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com edit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash edit for 25% off. Especially in this digital age, since we're well beyond handwritten journals and letters to convey history, the preservation of stories is so important, especially from the moms and mom figures in our lives. And if you've been looking for a way to collect those stories but aren't sure how to start, I have a recommendation for you. StoryWorth makes it easy. Every week, they email a loved one of your choosing a question prompt that you pick, for example, to people in different households and generations. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years, StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash edit. That's storyworth.com slash edit to save $10 on your first purchase. Hello, friends. We are back with the wonderful Laura Vanderkam. Laura, I I just i am really excited about these questions, so I'm going to just jump right in. So there are several reframing turns of phrase in your book that I appreciate so much. For example, you talk about finding tranquility, even when life is complicated, challenging, and sometimes chaotic check, (laughs) or becoming a master craftsperson of one's schedule, or that there are no prizes for enjoying your life the least or being too busy to get what matters done. I, I, I do feel like there were Several moments where I was like, "hmm, yeah, that's me, so thanks um <laughs> and it made me think about an edit your life back episode, actually, episode one hundred and nine called Decluttering for normal People and my guest Rachel Rosenthal talked about how the goal when you're trying to get your house together isn't to have everything perfect and tidy, but to develop a system so everything has its place and so I felt like there was a parallel to time here, and so Well, first, I wonder if you agree with that. And then second, I would love for you to share about why planning on Fridays is such an important part of the process.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm totally with your um, former guest about uh, what the point of organization should be. I I like pretty photos of, you know, rainbow canisters in a pantry as much as anyone. (laughs) Um, I'm sure that my cereal would look amazing if it was like that. But the point is, it's more important for your kids to be able to find the cereal mm-hmm. so that they can get the cereal in the morning, get their breakfast. So nobody is late for the bus. Like that is the point of having your cereal in a certain spot in the pantry yep. where it can be reached. So you can see if you're out of it, that sort of thing. Um, so that is what, you know, organization for normal people is too. And that is totally how I view, you know, scheduling and planning and all that. I, I love sort of the fancy version of planning where people have gorgeous planners and hand lettering and washi tape and stickers and such. And that's great. But the the key thing is that it is functional, that mm-hmm. you think about what needs to happen in your life and not just what needs to happen, but what you want to have happen and that you have a way to look at your life systematically and sort out the things that want you want to have happen and when those are going to happen. Um, that you have a system for dealing with any logic logistical problems you see as you are looking forward. And so this brings me to planning on Fridays. So sometimes people ask me, you know, how do you do it? Which I hate that question. But if, you know, somebody is going to ask me, this is kind of the bread and butter of it, which is that I spend about 20 minutes on Friday at some point, thinking through the upcoming week, thinking about, well, what is most important to me in the three different categories of life, career, relationships, and self. Mm-hmm. So I think about that, make sure I'm clear on that. It's usually steps toward larger goals I might have, or if I've got something big already on the calendar, I will flag that to me You know, say, oh yeah, that's that's something that's a focus for the week. So I wanna acknowledge that and make sure I'm prepared and cognizant of it and all that. So I figure out the timing for those things. Then I look at what else needs to happen. Um, make sure that i know roughly when those things will happen make sure that nothing is you know completely falling off the uh, you know that i don't think about i'm not gonna, not gonna drop balls i mean just as a small example here there are various things that if you have a time to reflect on what you need to do in your life you can jot these things down and they start coming to you in this time like oh yes two of my children need their passports renewed if we're going to travel mm-hmm. later mm-hmm. this year and so that needs to happen. I need a time to set up. When can we get the appointment that both my husband and I can be there? Anyway, lots of logistics with five kids, but you just have a designated time for thinking through all those things to make sure that you are relatively on top of them. And, you know, there's no stickers or washi tape or fancy pens, but there are notes and the notes correspond to a calendar and they happen. Um, And then at the end of the week, I kind of Make sure that everything has happened and look forward to the next week again. and And so that planning on Friday allows us to just have a time where we think about life and focus not just on what's happening, but what is important. And I like Fridays for, you know, a couple of reasons. If you have another time, like if you love to plan on Wednesday morning, like please keep with it. Don't let me tell you that that's a silly time. But uh, Friday afternoon, Many people are just sliding toward the weekend at that point. So Mm -hmm. it's easy to waste that time, biding your time until it seems acceptable to sign off. (laughs) So, you know, if we're wasting that time, we may as well repurpose it for high productive planning. Um, I think a deeper reason though, is that, you know, even people who like their work can experience a little bit of trepidation on Sunday evenings, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evenings, and what that tends to be is that you know there's all this stuff waiting for you. You know you have so much to do and you're worried about forgetting it. You're worried about you don't have a plan for it. And so your brain keeps churning through it. Whereas if you have a plan on Friday before you take a break for the weekend, then you don't need to think about it, right? Your brain is good. You know there's a plan, you know you're on top of things. Um, so that helps with the relaxation part.
0: Yeah, I think that's so great. I think you called it in the book The Sunday Scaries, which I'm like, yes. Um, and I wanna share with you me as your real, like next data point. So I read your book over the weekend. And so I didn't get to the planning until Sunday and thinking about this whole process made me realize that. So I am great at knocking pins down and getting stuff done. I know I'm like your greatest nightmare because I used to be the kind of person who would have like 80 things on a to-do list in a day, which I know is, is not a good thing in your book. (laughs) But that that's what it was, just because I micro break things down because I, so I don't have to hold them in memory. So, well, the first thing I did was I had to get over my feeling of like, I want to be the person with the lovely penmanship and the washi tape, and I'm just not. So I created a Google Doc, just a one page, and I added washi tape in the form of unicorn emojis on the top.
1: Oh, nice. So it's
0: cheerful. Um, but I will say that just mapping things out was so helpful because I realized that one thing I used, I always have figured is the best for me is to have as few meetings and as few like blocks blocked in on my calendar. So I feel like I've got open space to think about things. But what I found in the planning process was that I think that contributed to my scattered feeling because I would kind of project jump back and forth. As you know, I have Mm. a bunch of different stuff I'm working on and it just wasn't systematic. So what I did this week, my experiment, like real time this week has been, was figuring out my priorities, time blocking them specifically on my calendar and not looking at anything else. And I think it's been enormously helpful for my sort of scattered feeling. So I just wanted to share that real life example because it's been really good for me.
1: Well, good. I mean, I'm glad to hear it. And And there's certainly some people who, you know, might do better with open time where they go back and forth between things. I'm, I'm, you know, I definitely don't want to tell anyone if they have a system that is working for them that they need to change it. But if you are feeling a bit scattered or feeling like you don't know what you need to work on and the mental effort to figure that out at any given moment is, is exhausting, then it might help to give yourself a little bit more strict marching orders um, because then all you have to do is execute on them. And that can be very freeing in the moment as well.
0: Yeah. So helpful. Thank you. So thank you so much for that. It's just I, I'm really excited. I'm excited about my little my little weekly planner now. Well, I want to talk to you about resilient schedules, which is or building them. And literally just maybe an hour ago, my husband and I were talking about an unexpected travel thing for work that came up for me potentially in a couple of weeks and how he didn't use the word resilient, but he just—he basically was saying, I feel like we have no degrees of freedom and I, I want to aspire to a life where we have that. So what I'm curious about is whether you feel like there's a way for people who are in traditional jobs that don't have a lot of flexibility during the day. I'm thinking like, say you're working in an ER and you, you just really don't have anywhere else because you've got to be on the floor with patients. How do you build open space anywhere other than the weekend. I think you shared an example in your book about an academic or, or something who, you know, kind of needed to shuffle some time to the weekend. And I was wondering if there's a way around that.
1: Well, I would say that there probably is a way around it. But on the other hand, there is nothing 100% sacred about the weekends either. I mean, obviously, if True. you have a religion that requires you to keep one day sacred Then there is. Um, But, you know, even those, it tends to be one day, not both days. And many people don't have such um, strict religious observance either. The point is to have some time off um, where you are relaxed. But for some Mm. people, they may do better Splitting some of that between the work week and the weekend. And what was happening for the particular academic I was profiling in Tranquility by Tuesday is that she had a couple of rather short work days because she had chosen to take on more of the afternoon care of her children. And so she was making a choice to end what was, in fact, her full time job at often, you know, two or three o'clock in the afternoon, um, two to three days per week. So when you look at it that way, taking a five-hour shift on the weekend to work is not in any way, you know, an example of bad balance. It's Mm. that she had shifted the balance from working nine to five during the week to saying, well, what if I end work at 2.30 on two days and work for five hours on the weekend, right? So it's, it's just moving time around. And I don't think there's anything inherently bad about that as long as you have some time. And I think for many people having you know, 24 hours in the course of the week where you're not focused on work is good, Mm -hmm. but there are more hours than that in a weekend. So if it is necessary for you to make your life work, like you should not feel bad about that, particularly if you do wind up doing a lot of personal stuff during the week. But just in general, I mean, building an open space into our life. And I, you know, as I've been doing the podcast, interviews about this topic for, um, as I've been talking about this book, a lot of people say, "Oh, you want us to build white space into our schedule so we can be more creative, so we can think deep thoughts." You know, when we don't have any inputs, we want that's what our white space is about. I'm like, actually, that was not what I was going for. Like, I, <laughs> I'm I'm thrilled if you have that in your schedule. I want white space in your schedule because stuff goes wrong. Mm-hmm.
2: Like, stuff goes wrong uh-huh.
1: all the time. I mean, uh-huh. maybe these people have lives where it doesn't go wrong. I don't know, but mine my, my life things go wrong a lot. Um, uh-huh. and and so if you don't have open space, then you are just out of luck. Like something has to give. There are only 168 hours in a week. Um, An an analogy I use is from, from a study that some people did a while ago with um, a hospital system that had various operating rooms as you do. And they were completely book solid, like at hundred percent capacity, which then What wound up happening is every time somebody needed emergency surgery, like unscheduled surgery, the whole schedule got messed up, Uh right? Because Uh planned procedures had to be bumped forward a few hours while the OR was used for something else. And so, you know, people were coming in for surgery at six in the morning and not being operated on until two, three o'clock in the afternoon, if even that. And it's just ridiculous. Like, and, you know, people are tired and they're working hours they didn't mean to work. And so what they wound up doing is, not scheduling one of the ORs. Yeah. And of uh-huh. course that sounds on the surface like a problem because you're already booked at 100% capacity, how can you just take capacity out of the system? But that meant that when there was emergencies, they could go to the unscheduled OR uh-huh. and everything else could continue to operate on the schedule that was there. And so I think we need that equivalent in our life that if every single second is spoken for and has to happen in that exact way, then there's no margin for error. Yeah. And so if something runs long, well, everything else falls and you don't get to do something. Or if something good comes up, I mean, you mentioned like your travel that you might get to do. I mean, you know, what do, what do you do if like you have a completely packed full week and a new client is like, I need a proposal this week on something and it's somebody you've wanted to work for for a long time. Like you're probably going to do it, but that means you're going to shove something else. Well, what yeah. is the something else? If it's something you really truly wanted to do, well now, you've got a problem, so I'm not saying it's easy, <laughs> yeah. but building open space into our lives is how we absorb the overflow, how we absorb the emergencies, whether they be good or bad, so we can continue to do the things we have committed to do, even when the unexpected happens,
0: yeah, including having room for the good stuff, you know, mm-hmm. so so good, so good, all right, well, uh, you referenced earlier, you have five children, a lot of children, and you have a very busy career. I would love to hear your thoughts on where you talk about batching in the book and batching small tasks. I'm curious personally about how you batch family-related tasks. And this is on my mind because, and I will link this up in the notes, but in episode 270 uh, on compartmentalizing remote work, I talked to Amy Sterner Nelson, and it was so interesting. She talked about how at some point, she just accepted that parent tasks are just a part of her workday. She builds them in. And I think I I I definitely struggle with kid-related tasks and how to slot them in because ideally I would love to just be able to do that outside of the traditional work hours, like on the weekend, but I can't just ignore those emails because sometimes things have you know, they're for school things that happen on weekdays and then the doctor's visits that need to be scheduled and that needs to happen during the weekday. And then of course last minute things that come up. So This is, I guess, a sort of selfish question because this is a really big pain point for me personally, and I would like you to solve my problem.
1: I would like you to solve your problem. Well, (laughs) again, I mean, there's nothing sacred about weekends. There's also nothing sacred about the nine to five workday. I mean, particularly for people who do have some flexibility, Um, and so you might have grown up with a message that if you do anything personal during the hours of nine to five, you are a bad worker. Um, But I would like to push back a little bit on that Mm -hmm. because I'm guessing that almost all of us have done something work related outside the hours of nine to five, um, which means that, you know, you give a little, you get a little right. And, and time is just time and we can move it around as we see fit. That said, I don't think you want to be constantly Doing family-related stuff during work because you'll distract yourself from whatever big projects you intended to do. And I actually developed this role because I had done a, a time makeover with a, a reader who had sent me her schedule, and she was feeling very scattered. And I was realizing it was because I would see stuff like she was working on a project, and then there'd be a, a time on her time log devoted to, you know, like ordering Halloween, pre- you know, costumes on Amazon, <laughs> uh-huh. and then you know there'd be work, and then there'd be. Uh, you know, filling out all the permission slips. And I'm not saying those stuff doesn't have to happen. Like, yeah, you know, your kids want costumes and those permission slips do have to be filled out, but you're better off batching those things. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think what was often happening is that she would hit a rough patch in work. Like she would be trying to solve yes. a problem and yep. be like, I could keep throwing myself at this and see where I get, or I could go order Halloween costumes, (laughs) which which Mm -hmm. is, you know, whether it's pleasant or not, it's easy to do and it's done and you get the satisfaction of feeling like it is done. Um, Whereas wrestling with a really big problem may not give that immediate satisfaction. So try to batch them when you do. This is up to you, though. I would strongly encourage people to choose a time that is not your best time. Yes. Mm -hmm. So don't, Don't clear the decks, as the phrase goes, um, which turns out to be a phrase from naval warfare, where people would clear everything off the deck and tie things down before they started shooting off the cannons, (laughs) which makes perfect sense if you are fighting a 19th century battle on a ship. Most of us are not. So, the problem is when you try to get all the little things done on your to-do list first and then you dive into the big work, you're going to run out of time. You're going to run out of steam. Like yeah. you get through everything. It's 1030. Oh, look, I have a meeting I have to get to. Then you have lunch and then it's the afternoon. And oh, shoot, now my energy is crashing and I can't get to this other stuff. So better to, you know, give your best time. For many people, that's the morning. But, you know, choose what hours you are going to focus on deeper work stuff or more important work matters. And then designate a window for all those not terribly important, not terribly urgent tasks that do still need to get done. I try to let as many of them as possible stack up until Friday. Mm -hmm. And then I have what I call a Friday punch list, which is when I answer the emails that weren't urgent. It's when I pay bills. It's when I respond to invitations. If I have um, any sort of other correspondence that needs to be dealt with or small errands or things like that. I try to do that all on Friday as I'm wrapping up the week. Um, Some stuff obviously can't wait till the end of the week, but you could designate, let's say half an hour after lunch, right? Say, okay, well, you know, I'm sort of still digesting. I'm going to come back to my desk and that's when I'm going to order that Halloween present, you know, respond to these three invitations and pay this bill. And then you Make sure that you have a limited window mm-hmm. so that you force some efficiencies and you you don't do everything under the sun that you could do because you're like, no, no, I have this 30 minutes. I'm going to get through what I can. Um, and then the rest of your schedule is more free for, for yeah. other things.
0: Yep. I like it. I like it. OK, I have a couple more questions for you. We're going to get to those after a quick break. As you know, I am all about micro improvements. And if you'd like to dedicate a little time each day to learn a language, I have a great solution for you. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app that offers 10-minute language lessons designed to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Materials are rooted in real-life situations, so you can learn important basics such as ordering food and asking for directions. Babbel offers personalized learning content, real-time feedback, tracking, and visualizations, and their speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. No matter what level you are looking for, casual, intense, or something in between, you can enjoy app lessons, podcasts, and live classes from the comfort of your home on your schedule. Here's a special limited time deal for Edit Your Life listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for Edit Your Life listeners at babbel.com slash edit. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash edit. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash edit. Rules and restrictions may apply.
2: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them
0: Hello, friends. We are back with Laura Vanderkam, who has this amazing new book out, Tranquility by Tuesday. We're recording this in in September, but the book is out October 11th. And Laura, I'm just going to go ahead and recommend people pre-order, pre-order, pre-order. It's a great way to support authors and let bookstores and booksellers know that the book is in demand. And this book is in demand. In fact, I think didn't I text you it was like a number one new release in work and productivity or something?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, we get that nice little orange banner on Amazon. Always. Gotta good. <laughs> love it. You got to love it. Well, it is totally
0: worth it. So listeners, please pre-order. And if you're coming to this episode later, of course, just order the book. OK, I have a couple more questions I want to ask you. And this is more of a fun one, but it's also a legitimate question I think about a lot. So in your book, you talk about planning big and little adventures. and I'm curious about a sort of nuanced introvert lens, and I may know somebody in my household who is an introvert who craves a lot of empty space. So what would you say to somebody who feels like that empty space is a good thing? And so the idea of planning big and little adventures, they're kind of like, "Mm, I don't know about that.
1: Well, the reason I developed this rule, which is one big adventure, one little adventure, is that we are looking at the whole total of 168 hours of a week, right? I'm not saying do big adventure and little adventure every day. I'm saying do one big adventure and one little adventure each week, which if you do that, you still have a lot of open space. Um, One woman who uh, had uh, adopted this rule, who, who thought it sounded fun, like she had noticed that every day was pretty much the same. You know, she goes to work, or, you know, the kids in the evening, like do the family routine. She's in her jammies right after work and, <laughs> you know, get everyone to bed. And every day seems the same, right? Mm-hmm. And, and routines can be comforting. But she said, listen, we're going to just try one day a week to do something a little bit different in the evening. And so they would take one evening a week to do something else, you know, go to the neighborhood pool in the summer or, you know, go to a different park, try a new ice cream spot, whatever little adventure they could have, just short stuff. She said, look, you know, four weeknights a week, I can still get in my jammies right after work. (laughs) So there's always downtime, right? There's always downtime. There's just a question of how much. And I think having one big adventure, which is like, you know, three hours, we're talking half a weekend day, right? Yeah, And one little adventure, which is less than one hour. Is a good balance between having open space, having comforting routines, um, but also not having every day be the same, that we are still putting things into our lives that are different, Mm -hmm. that are memorable, that maybe get us to try something a little bit different, stretch our comfort zone just a tiny bit, because that is what makes us notice time when Mm -hmm. every day is the same and nothing is different that's when whole years start disappearing into these memory sinkholes, (laughs) right? Mm, That are like mm -hmm. measured only in the changing heights of children. You see somebody you haven't seen in two years, you're like, my, how much you've grown, right? (laughs) In that old fogey way we have. And it's like, because it didn't feel like two years because two years of stuff didn't happen since you last saw that person. So it's when we have more memories that time seems to expand. The, The phrase I always use for people is we don't say, where did the time go? When we remember where the time went. So Mm -hmm. I think that one big adventure, one little adventure each week is enough to make time memorable, but isn't enough to exhaust or bankrupt anyone.
0: Yeah, I think that's wonderful. And you're reminding me just a couple episodes ago in my fall check-in episode, I talked about I had a moment to reflect on the summer. I just did it briefly. And I wasn't admittedly super awesome about building in much downtime and vacation this past summer. I. I don't know what was happening with me, but, but one of the things that struck me was that one of my, my very favorite family memories, not one of, it was my favorite family memory was just an afternoon where we were with friends and we went paddleboarding and Violet, my younger one was old enough finally to get on a paddleboard. She wanted to try it to see if she could do it. And she was big enough to actually handle one. Actually, she was on a surfboard because the real paddleboards were too big, but She did that, and then one of our friends taught my girls to surf, and I just got to bob along in the water and watch them surf. And so, it wasn't—I think it was lovely and remarkable to me because it wasn't a big deal. It didn't cost—it didn't cost any money, actually. We were just using gear and out on the ocean at a public beach. It was a couple hours, and it felt so special, and I will always remember that. So, I think it's a, a good example. I always like sharing. I think when people hear the word adventure, they're worried about money and things like that. So I just wanted to share that again to remind people that these adventures can be right right in the neighborhood and very accessible, but just something a little different, as you pointed out.
1: As long as it is a little bit different, a little bit memorable. Yeah. I mean, adventure is more a state of mind than any objective Mm. measurement of like how much you spent or how far you went from home. And somebody's adventure might be sailing like a Viking around the Norwegian fjords, but I think stand up paddle boarding on the water near your house is also an adventure. It just, it, if it, you consider it an adventure, then it is an adventure, right? Yeah. There's no adventure police.
0: Yes. Oh, well, I, I like that. Okay, Laura, this has been amazing, so helpful, so illuminating, and um, just very compassionate. So I appreciate that so much. But I have you on the hook for one more thing. At, as you might recall from our earlier episode, at the end of each episode, I ask my guest for what I call your next edit. It's a super actionable tip that listeners can consider doing right away after they finish listening. You've given a lot of tips, but I was wondering if anything in the context of our conversation has jumped out at you that you would love to share as your next edit.
1: Yeah, so here's something that people can try if they are interested in batching the little things, but they're very worried about forgetting the little things. I mean, One of the reasons we do these things uh, when we think about them, even if we're doing something else, is we worry that you know, it'll slip through our brains or we'll remember it at 3am or Mm -hmm. something like that. So just get in the habit of keeping a piece of paper near you or, you know, so you can write these things down on just what you might call a later list Mm -hmm. (laughs) as in Mm -hmm. I will do them later. And so when you're like, oh yeah, I should send my colleague that thing. You just write that thing down on the paper and you can keep going with what you are doing rather than, going into your inbox with the purpose of sending your colleague yes. that thing. But then, hey, I'm in my inbox <laughs> where there are shiny new unread messages that I've <laughs> got to check out. And, you know, then you've really distracted yourself. So um, keeping a later list allows us to batch the little things uh, without worrying about forgetting them. Ooh, I love that.
0: Laura, thank you so much. I can't wait for more people to get their hands on your book because I think it'll be transformative for them. I'm only a few days into my planning sessions thanks to you, and I I do feel more tranquil. So thank you for writing it, and thank you for taking the time to be on the show today.
1: I'm so thrilled that you're feeling more tranquil. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Okay, friends, you'll find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources and related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at Edit Your Life Show or send an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod-loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening.